0: What a joy it is to greet you in the name of the risen Christ Jesus. I am in the sanctuary at Blacknell Presbyterian Church, and uh, you are at home or with family or somewhere perhaps scattered across the United States or further abroad. I am thinking about you as I am standing in this empty room. And yet nevertheless, I want to say to you, The Lord is risen, and I hope that it is your voice that I hear responding, he is risen indeed. It is on a Sunday such as this that I look forward so much to being back together in worship again, and by God's grace, uh, that will be the case. We look forward to that, that resurrection hope. But welcome to you as we gather this morning to give thanks to God for his gracious overcoming the powers of death and all those powers that would undo what he is doing in the resurrection life of Jesus Christ, coming to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. This morning, we want to give our particular focus to the reading of God's word from the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John, John's recounting, of the post-resurrection appearances. I'll begin reading from the 19th verse. John chapter 20, beginning with the 19th verse through to the end of the chapter. Listen to God's word. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, peace be with you, shalom. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus appeared. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, "'Peace be with you.' Then he said to Thomas, "'Put your finger here. "'See my hands. "'Reach out your hand and put it into my side. "'Thomas, stop doubting and believe.'" Thomas said to him, "'My Lord and my God.'" And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these things have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The crucifixion and the resurrection are the heart of the Christian faith. Christians believe in fact that all of human history turns on these two events taken together And the change that was brought about in the disciples following their encounter with the risen Christ is vivid proof of that fact. Their stories changed after they encountered the risen Lord. Huddled behind locked doors, closeted away in the prison of their fearfulness, the followers of Jesus were downcast and dejected. For it was only three short days previous that they had witnessed their man publicly shamed and painfully executed. And now they were fearful that those same folks who had persecuted Jesus to death were coming for them. So they had listened in disbelief as Mary had recounted her encounter with the risen Christ. So add confusion to their gathering. What was Mary talking about? But there is no denying what happened next. Suddenly in their midst stood one to all appearances who looked like Jesus. And then he spoke and he said to them, Shalom, peace. And then we have that understated text. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And suddenly things began to fall into place. All that business about building a temple in three days about how Jesus must suffer and die. Their memories started surfacing those comments, those off-handed statements that had so puzzled them at the time that Jesus had spoken, to, spoken them. You can almost picture the disciples is that as they recall those statements, as the pieces begin to drop into place, and then as if he needed to, he commissioned those same disciples to proclaim this good news. As the Father sent me, he says, so I send you. All except Thomas. Thomas, for some reason, wasn't around at that first meeting. We don't know where he was, we don't know what he was about, but we know that he wasn't in that room. And he, upon hearing, this encounter story wasn't the least bit interested in hearing what the disciples had to say about seeing Jesus. We shouldn't be too surprised, actually. The last time we saw Jesus back in John chapter 14, he was questioning Jesus. Jesus had said to his disciples, you know the place that I'm going. And it was Thomas who spoke up and said, "Uh, excuse me, no, we don't. And how can we know how to get there? to which Jesus gave that reply that has lived on in our memories, I am the way, the truth, and the life. All very helpful to a guy like Thomas, I'm sure. He probably thought, more riddles. So when he was told of his friend's encounter with Jesus after the crucifixion, he declared, I'm not gonna believe it. Not unless I put my hand in his side and unless I put my finger in those nail marks in his wrists. He had seen Jesus die. He had witnessed his burial. He had watched the stone seal that tomb. I won't believe it, he said. I know what's real and that is as real as anything I've ever seen. And that was that. Except a week later, Jesus called his bluff. Jesus appeared again in spite of locked doors, again proclaiming the peace of the new kingdom that is even now breaking into our history. And he walked right up to Thomas with intent. Suddenly, without warning, one of those moments where Jesus made made someone feel like it was just the two of them in the room, here he was eye to eye. Remember Jesus speaking to Peter on the beach after he had betrayed him? Or Jesus speaking to Judas, saying to him, go do what you must do. Or Jesus to Nicodemus, looking him in the eye and saying, you must be born again. Or Jesus to the paralytic on the mat, get up and walk. Or to the woman at the well, give me a drink. To come under the clarifying gaze of Jesus. That's what is happening right now to Thomas. Put your hand in my side. Put your finger in these marks on my wrists. Stop doubting Thomas, believe. I've often wondered if Thomas actually reached out his own hand to follow Jesus' instructions. The text is silent on this and I think that's because it didn't happen. Instead, we're told that Thomas finally surrendered to the greater reality a reality more profound than any he had a vision for, he knelt and he cried out, my Lord and my God. Face to face with the reality of the resurrected Jesus, he finally stood convinced. And while Thomas took a little extra to get convinced, once a guy like Thomas becomes convinced, there's no stopping him. And tradition has it that the apostle ended his own days in southern India, where the Mar Thoma Church exists to this day. If I were to ask any of you the popular name by which Thomas is known, all of you would respond doubting Thomas. But lest we be too hard on him, remember that Thomas's doubt was fueled by his memory. He had seen with his own eyes the crucifixion of Jesus only days before, the humiliation, the pain, the last words as Jesus had died, the water and the blood which flowed from his side as the soldier added one last steel-tipped insult. Thomas had witnessed that body as they had taken him down from the cross and wrapped it in spices. He could still taste the coolness of the tomb, the final thud of the stone being rolled into place, and the soldiers which he glimpsed over his shoulder as he hastened away. All of this and more was seared into the memory of Thomas. The greatest ally to fear and doubt is memory. Do you have a memory of failure in your own life? I have lots of them. I remember the time that I broke through the line on the playground when we were playing touch football and I blocked a punt with my Adam's apple. It sure made me not want to ever play on the line again. I remember the time I called a girl early on in my adolescence to ask her, however haltingly if she wanted to go see a movie and she hesitated and I knew in the moment that the answer would be no. So the next time I wanted to call someone, that memory lived on. So the boy who is hit by a pitch when he's standing at the plate, not to be too autobiographical, the next time he will come to the plate he will have to walk through that memory of the pain and the accompanying fear. How will he do? A person who has had a devastating experience of losing a job has to walk through his or her own doubts and fears as he or she hits send on that next job application. The child who is told by her father that she is nothing but a nuisance. What scars will she bear? born in her memory as she makes her way into adulthood. Memory in these ways and so many others allies itself to doubt, built on fear, and forms a solid defensive fortification against the work of the Spirit of God. It was Thomas's memory that kept Jesus in the grave. It is memory that still keeps many of us just as certain that Christ is dead in certain aspects of our lives. We are realists, we say, just like Thomas, not to be satisfied with the wishful thinking of the romantics. But with the resurrection of Jesus, our vision of reality has to change. There is a greater truth than the hurt that you have endured, than the pain that has shaped your responses to life. And in the bright light of the resurrection, our shadowy pasts are cleared away. We need not be destroyed by what has been done to us, nor by what we have done to others. In the light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, We can face the demons of our pasts and the uncertainties that feel so compelling as we look to the future. Confident instead that Christ is Lord of all of that, that his goodness is greater than those powers who would delight in your destruction. After that encounter with the resurrected Jesus, it was that memory of that night in that upper room that compelled Thomas along with the other disciples to give his life in the proclamation of that most unlikely and difficult to believe news, that there was a man named Jesus who was everything he claimed to be, God in human flesh, who is alive to be encountered even today. So memory can function in another way. For just as Thomas's memory refused to let him believe in the reality of the risen Christ, it was also his memory, the memory of those scars that he saw in Jesus' body, the memory of those hands stretched out toward him, the memory of Jesus' words, memory of those things that set him free from his doubts and fears that set him free to see the world as hard as it might be to believe, as it actually is when the curtain is drawn back. There is a reality that is greater than the empirical force of facts. There is a world that is greater in its reality than the solidity of walls through through which Jesus walked. Thomas was set free to serve and to love and to follow. It was memory allied, not with doubt, but with truth. And the same has taken place in the lives of millions and millions of others. We ourselves do not have the privilege of touching those wounds, yet Jesus says to you just as assuredly as he said to Thomas, Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. It is given to the church. It is given to you and to me to be the touchstone of memory for the world. As the Father has sent me, so I send you, says Jesus to us. To us has been given the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority to forgive as though Christ himself were present doing the forgiving through us. We are to live before one another and the world as Christ lived before his disciples, to be in the words of Henry Nouwen, the wounded healers of the world, by the power of the risen Lord Jesus. We remind each other on Easter mornings such as this, that the Lord is risen and that the world is no longer the same. We see the lessons of the past, especially this past year, in an entirely different way. How many thousands have died because of coronavirus? Is that to be the end of our story? Or do we see the world in a different way? And we look to the future in a very different way because of the resurrection of Jesus. Before the fall of the Iron Curtain, the Communist Party was notorious for its hatred of all things religious and especially of Christianity. Before the fall of the Iron Curtain, those Soviet bloc nations, a member of the Communist Party was addressing a packed audience and his subject of the day was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He spoke at great length, seeking to discredit the Christian faith in the ears of his hearers. At the end, one courageous Orthodox priest rose to his feet and asked if he might reply to the lengthy speech of the party official. The party official said brusquely, "'Yes, but you may only have five minutes.' The priest responded, five seconds is all I shall need. And with that, he turned to the congregation and he cried out, Christos Aneste, Christ is risen. And without a moment's hesitation, the entire room roared back. He is risen indeed. With that cry, the iron curtain crashed. With that cry, our own iron curtains of fear and grief and guilt and longing and defensiveness come crashing down. Even death itself, the last enemy from whom we have suffered so much in these last months has been vanquished by the resurrected Christ. And so he reigns over princes and kings and empires and nations and viruses and your life and mine. May that power that raised Christ from the dead, that establishes the legitimacy of his claim as the Lord over the entire cosmos, may that power raise us as well. To be his faithful servants, saying with all of our hearts, the Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. May the Lord give you that confident certainty this morning as we worship him. Amen.